awesome basketball player. He dunked on me like once. Okay. And uh, I just want to pray for you, brother, as, as you share God's word. Father, we thank you uh, for uh, who you are, Lord. We thank you uh, for the fact that uh, you've given us a family that's uh, way bigger than just this neighborhood, way bigger than just our church. Lord, uh, you have a global church. You have global leadership. Lord, you have a citywide leadership. And we just thank you uh, for Brian Dye's investment in our city, Lord, and the impact that he's doing here. God, and today as he shares God's word, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive to what you would have to say through him. Lord, I pray that you would anoint his mouth as he speaks to us. Lord, that the meditations of his heart, the words that he speak be pleasing to you, Lord, that it would be encouraging to us, Lord, and that it would mobilize us to move forward as missionaries. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here, Brooke, with you today. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing Jeremy for five or six years whenever he came to Chicago. I think, I think we met the first week you were here. Drove him around a little bit into the hood. His eyes got big. And, um, <laughs> never wanted to hang out with me again after that. Uh, but I've actually had the privilege of knowing Eric, past Eric, for 25, probably so years, since high school age. Um, and uh, that's, that's kind of scary to think that if, if I've known him for 25 years, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so I just turned 40 uh, a couple months ago, and, and uh, you know, when you, when you those, uh, those who, who are over 40, right, right, when you get to 40, you're like at the top of the hill, and, and you start to see the, the downgrade, and um, I used to love to play basketball, and, and now I, I just, I have to count the cost. Do, do I want to feel it for the next two days? Um, football or, or whatever the situation might be. And, um, but with, with getting older as well is that you, you, you start to really count your days. You really start to dwell upon your purpose and your call. If God would grant us 80 years on earth, I, I imagine myself on, on my deathbed growing old. and As people would come to me, I would wonder what I would have to say to them. I would guess that I probably wouldn't be talking about menial things. I wouldn't spend so much time talking about sports or how bad the Bears are uh, and, and how we need a quarterback finally and, you know, or even the Sox or, or Cubs or the Blackhawks. I probably wouldn't spend so much time talking about uh, my job or what I've done in my life, um, my words would become very selected um, because I would want to carry on the message um, that was meaningful to them to carry on. Jesus Christ um, walked on this earth for 33 years. He was born of a virgin, grew into spiritual maturity, poured his life into 12 individuals went to the cross, went to the tomb, and then rose again. And he meets with his disciples one last time to give them his final words, his departing words. And, and these words are, are important. And these words are, are key and critical. 
So if you could turn with me to Matthew 28. Um, actually, uh, I did tell Eric I was going to preach on seeing Peter and Simon, and I, I felt God just leading me in a little different direction, so I'm going to change it up a little bit. But Matthew 28, 16 through 20, we're going to talk about Jesus' last words, his final words to his disciples. What, what message does he want them to continue to walk in? And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then, Father, we pray that you would minister through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, take your words, Lord God, that could often appear just as ink on a page. And Lord God, cause them to awaken our hearts. Lord God, let us read these words. Let us hear from these words as though we're hearing from the very voice of you. Not of myself, not of any other man, Lord God, but as of you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who desires a relationship with us, the, the one who, who seeks to walk with us. And for whatever reason has seen a mission within us that you have called us to. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The first thing I want to talk about is these individuals and their character, the character of the disciples. A disciple is literally just a follower. Um, and so John the Baptist had disciples, people who followed after him. Aristotle, Socrates, the, the, the philosophers of the day, and prior to Jesus had disciples or people who would follow after them. If you are a trade in the trades, if you're a construction worker, an electrician, most likely you followed after somebody, you learned the trade. Uh, you didn't necessarily sit in a classroom. And, and so here are the disciples of Jesus Christ. And these are our normal, everyday people. These 12 disciples, many of them were fishermen. They were blue-collar workers. They didn't have to have the highest education. We have Simon the Zealot, who was a terrorist of the day. He did not like that Rome came in and held Israel captive. And so he, as well as hundreds of young men, decided that they were going to overthrow Rome. And so they would carry daggers within their coat that if they got close enough to a Roman official or someone who worked, conspired for Rome, that they would kill that individual. You have Peter. 
Someone who put his foot in his mouth a lot. Someone who didn't always think before he acted. You have Peter even, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, pulls out a dagger out of his coat and slashes the air of a Roman servant. I don't... You wonder, like, again, why did Jesus choose these individuals? And then I often wonder, why did Jesus choose us to be used for his purpose and his call? But at the end of the day, when we look at the disciples, and in this passage, we see that the disciples, they followed Jesus. So in verse 16, it says that they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Just previous in the chapter, we, we see that there in Jerusalem, Jesus rose again, and he, and he told them, meet me in the mountain, meet me at the mountain in Galilee, and I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to have some final words for you. Well, from Jerusalem to Galilee was a three-day journey. And I can imagine the disciples saying, you know what, Jesus, we, we trusted in you, we followed you for three years, and, 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 and you abandoned us, you, you, you died, and, 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 and I just don't know what's going on right now, and now you want me to go walk, with, walk three days journey to meet up with you? I, I, I just don't know about that. But a disciple follows the commands of Jesus. There is no way that we could claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ if we don't obey all of his commands. If we reject what he has to say. If we make excuses for it. If we pick and choose what we will obey and what we won't. Jesus sometimes asks us to do uncomfortable things. And are we willing to follow him so the disciples follow Jesus. And, and then we see that they look to Jesus. Look at verse 17. And when they saw him. I think of Israel when they're in the wilderness. And they began to rebel against God and complain. And God sent the serpents to bite them. And, and they started to die. And. God tells Moses, there's, there's a cure, there's a way of escape, there's a way of salvation. And what I want you to do is to build a bronze serpent, put it in the center of the camp. And anyone who looks to it will live. And I can imagine being one of those individuals who's bit by a snake and, and knows my time is winding down. And I'm thinking through every possible way to save myself. And, and I would start to cut myself and let the poison bleed out. And, or maybe I would enjoy the last hours of, of my life. And maybe I would do what, what I desire to do. All those people would have died. And how foolish would it, did it sound to be like someone telling me, just go to the center of the camp. Look at this bronze serpent that's been built. Yeah, right. <laughs> that bronze serpent's not going to save me. And how the world looks upon Jesus in the same way. And how often our hearts even look to Jesus in the same way. When the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and we begin to create our own ways of escape, our own ways of salvation, our own ways of hope, 
But a true disciple, the character of a disciple is that they look to Jesus. In the midst of what's going on in life, we, we look to him because we know that he is living water. That if we drink of, we will never get thirsty again. That he is the bread that we eat from to get our fulfillment. That he is the only hope, the only salvation. He's not just one way. He's not just a good way. He is the way to the Father. Character of the disciples, they followed Jesus. They looked to Jesus. And then we see that they worshipped him. They worship Jesus. They surrender their lives. They surrender their hearts. They surrender their affections to Jesus Christ. I like how it immediately follows up with that in verse 17. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. They all worshiped, but some doubted. And and the reality is, is that however long you've been walking with Christ, whether it's been six months, six years, or 60 years, you know before very long that you, have seas, you will have seasons of doubt. And you will begin to question God's word, his truth. You will begin to question his character. You will begin to wonder, God, I've been struggling with the same sin for years, and, and you're not giving me victory over it, and, and you start to doubt that he ever will. And your marriage isn't where you want it to be, and you start to doubt, God, I, I don't know if you're really here. I don't know if you answer my prayers. The reality is that all Christians, all disciples, will have seasons of doubt. But what we see in this passage is that in the season of doubt, they still follow Jesus. They still look to Jesus, and they still worshiped Jesus. Because it is in doing those things that God wipes away our doubt, and he takes away our fears. And it is him. So don't heal your doubt first and then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and let him take away and heal your doubt. So we see the character of the disciples. And then in the next couple verses, we see the calling of the disciples. And we'll jump down to verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The call of the disciples, if we claim to be followers and worshipers of Jesus, then our call, every one of us, is to do likewise, to go and make more disciples. This is not the jobs of the senior pastor or the associate pastor or the youth pastor or or, or whoever else. It's the call of every single disciple, whether we think we're equipped for it or not. Jesus calls us to go and make disciples. Let me give the reality, though. Making disciples is a hard task. I, I, I like this idea of make disciples. You know, my, my wife does the vast majority of the cooking. By vast majority of the cooking, I mean like all of the cooking. Um, so let me not get that twisted. But every once in a while... In our 16 years of marriage, she's been like, babe, it would be nice of you if you would make dinner tonight. And, you know, as being a good husband, I'm like, sure, babe, I got you, right? And uh, so I go to work, right, and I'm working all day, and my mind's everywhere, and, and, and I'm on the ride home back 
from, from work to home. And then all of a sudden it dawns on me. Because guys, we have short memory, right? It dawns on me. Oh, she wants me to make dinner, right? I look at the time. There's no way that I have time to stop at the store, get all the ingredients, and, and to come home and, and make dinner, right? And to look up the recipes and so forth. And so what do I do? I stop at KFC. <laughs> and I get a bucket of chicken, right? And, and in my mind, it's, it's you know what? She, 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 we need to have dinner at the table. And so I'll stop at KFC. I'll get the biscuits and, and the sides and everything and so forth, right? And we'll eat. We'll get our nourishment. But is that what my wife asked me to do? No. She didn't want me to grab dinner. She didn't want me to find the dinner. She wanted me to make dinner. Okay? And this is the reality of what Jesus Christ is saying. I don't want you just to find other disciples who just need a little touch-up. I, I, I don't want you just to, just, just to sit back. I want you to go out and make people who aren't disciples right now into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Make came disciples again takes work, but is what God has called us to do. We live in a neighborhood, in a city, in a nation, in a world where many, the vast majority, don't follow Jesus Christ. And there's moments where God speaks through visions and, and he, he does that. But for 99.9% of the time, he uses people. How did you come to Christ? Because someone made a disciple. Because someone shared the gospel with you. Because someone prayed for you. Many times over and over and over again before it got through our thick skin and our thick hearts. Make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, one, we see that we make disciples on the go or as we're going. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus Christ, you notice when you read the Gospels, he never started a ministry. He never started an Awana program. He never started a, a sports outreach. He never started, he never built a church building. And not to say that, that any of that stuff doesn't have its purpose. But we see Jesus making disciples as he went. As he, as he went everywhere he went, he was about his father's business. So when Jesus goes to the well, and it's midday and he's been walking. He's walking. Been walking for hours. He stops at a well and he's thirsty and he has nothing to get water with. So he sees a woman who's there in John chapter 4. And she has a bucket to get water from the well. She has something that he needs. And so he asks her, can you give me water? Oftentimes when that happens in my day, I get the water, I thank the individual, and I move on. But Jesus Christ was so committed to the work of God to make disciples, to make followers of, of, of himself, that he didn't stop there. But he used that physical encounter to, to teach a spiritual truth. 
And say, you know what, if you drink from this water, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to come the next day and you're going to have to get more water. But if you drink of this water that I give you, you will never go thirsty again. And she immediately leaves even the water that she came from and runs home and tells everyone of the Savior that she met. Jesus Christ walking along the road and he sees a field and he says a sower sows seed on the field. Some falls on fertile soil and some falls on rocky soil and so forth, right? Everywhere Jesus went, he was about making disciples. That was his call, that was his mission, that was his push. To the point where he was known as a friend of sinners and tax collectors because he was always hanging out with people who didn't know, who didn't trust in his father. He's sharing the gospel with them. Where are places that we go every day? Whether that's work or whether that's school, whether that's to our home, Our primary goal to go to work is not simply to make money, to make a living. That is obviously a need that we have, and and we can honor God in our work and, 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 and what we do. But our primary goal is as you go to make disciples. Which co-workers have we shared the gospel with last? Who have we been praying for? Who have we been laboring for? Hoping that God would save them and being used of him in that. When we go home, it's not just simply to go home to rest from a hard day's work. But when we go home, when was the last time we shared the gospel with a neighbor? When was the last time we knocked on someone's door and and brought them a a gift or brought them a treat or just asked them for a prayer request or, or shared the gospel with them? When we go to the gym to get our workout on. Jeremy was telling me he's getting married in a few months, so he's been, he's been getting in shape, you know, going to the gym and so forth. Um, it's amazing what we'll do for, for marriage, huh? When we go to the gym, is it just simply to get get the beach body ready, or are we going with a greater mission? Are we going to make disciples? Are we initiating conversations with others to make disciples? We also make disciples by immersion. And I want to hit on this in verse 19. It talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes when we read the word baptism in scripture, we, we isolate it to simply water baptism. And obviously water baptism is, is a reality, is a call of the church, that, that when we become believers, we identify ourselves publicly with Jesus Christ, and that we died with him, and that we were buried with him, and that we rose again with him. But there's a deeper meaning to baptism than just that. The, the, the word is, is a Greek word, baptizo, which literally means to immerse yourself in. So people were baptized or immersed in the teaching of John the Baptist. 
meaning that they, they identified, they immersed themselves with this message of repentance. Jesus Christ, or John the Baptist says, one who will come after me will baptize with, with fire. The idea is that, is that Jesus Christ will send forth the Holy Spirit who lives in you and cleanses you from sin. Um, so, so again, the idea of baptism is literally to immerse yourself in. And here in the context of this verse, it says to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To immerse them in who God is. To immerse them in the character of God, I think, is the deeper meaning of this passage. So you could be relieved that you don't have to start grabbing people and going to the lake and dunking them in water to obey Jesus' command. What you do need to do is you need to take people and and walk with them to show them the character of God that lives within you and that pours out to others. So that when you start inviting people into your life, they begin to see that there's something different about you. I, I, I don't understand why you're faithful to your wife in that way. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with looking a little bit, right? And you're like, but, you know, let me tell you something. I'm faithful to my wife because God has been faithful to me. God is a faithful God. And he doesn't never leave me or abandon me. And, and you're at work, and, and someone says, you know, you should just, you know, play with these numbers a little bit. It will benefit you. It will give you a promotion. And you respond, I, I can't do that. Because my God is a God of truth. A God of, of honesty. And I know that when I read something on the page of his scriptures, that is true. And I don't have to worry about whether it's true or not. And we begin to to point people to the character of God. And the character of God begins to rub off from us onto them. And starts to impact them. A good illustration of this is is a guy by the name of Nicandor. About 50 years or so before Jesus Christ was even born. He wrote a recipe in Greek on how to make a pickle. Anyone ever make a pickle before? No. I grew up in Humble Park. I just thought pickles were just grew in, in the grocery store. Like, I had no idea, all right? Um, so, but this is how you make a pickle, and I'm sure most of us know this already, but a, a pickle comes from a what? Cucumber. You take a cucumber, he says, in, in Greek, and he says, first you bapto it in water. This bapto is similar to the word baptizo, but it has a different meaning. Bapto simply means you dip it. So in the, in the way that Jesus said, the one who dips his hand in the bowl is the one who's going to betray me, right? Speaking of Judas. So that's the idea of bapto. When you, when you dip that cucumber in water, what does that water do to it? Huh? It cleans the dirt off of it, right? It, it, it wets it. So when you pull it out, the, out of the water, right, and you put it on the counter, it's going to be wet and it's going to be clean. But in, in, in two or three days, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be dry again, and it's going to get dirty again. Nothing changes permanently with that, with that cucumber just because it was dipped or baptized in water. But oftentimes, that's, 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 we, we, we invite people to church, we invite people to a program, to a service, and, and we think that's going to change their lives. And, and they, might be, they might try to clean up themselves a little bit to fit in. 
to look like they belong. But eventually that's going to wear off because nothing in, in their heart has been changed yet. Okay? Now what he says, now you take that cucumber that has been washed, that is wet now, and now you baptizo it or you immerse it in vinegar solution. And it sits there for, for hours and days. And it begins to soak up what's in that vinegar solution. That now when you take that cucumber out, it's not only wet, it's not only clean now, but it's totally different. It tastes different, it smells different. And you can leave it on the counter, and a few days later, is it going to revert back? No. It's totally changed. It's a, it's a new creation. The old things have passed, right? The new things have come. It's no longer a cucumber. You need now call it a, a pickle. Because everything about it is different. And that's, I think, the idea of what Jesus Christ is getting at here. He's saying, I want you to immerse people in the character of God so that the character of God begins to change them from the inside out. That they become a new creation. Now, the third call of the disciple is to teach them as well. So it's not just about us hanging out with them and, and, and letting the character of God rub off on them, but now it's taking them to the only, only authority that we have, which is the very words of God. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the authority that we have, the inspired words of God. And so it's not my opinion, but it's what does God say. And, and if we cannot teach others until we have first been taught, right? Until we have first learned ourselves. So how much time are we spending studying this book? Or do we simply depend upon the Sunday message or the, the midweek study for all of our teaching? Are we looking into it every day? Are we being faithful students? Are, are we learning from it? Letting it impact us so that now we could impart it to others. This is the call of every believer. To teach the word of God. All that he has commanded us. You may be saying, but... but I've I just never been to Bible school, and so I don't feel equipped to teach. I've never been to seminary. I can't handle the Word of God like Eric Rivera can or Jeremy can or whoever else, right? We start to compare ourselves to others, and, and we say, well, let's, let them do the teaching. But the reality is, is that even if you know one truth of Scriptures, you have something to teach, the woman at the well didn't say, but first let me go to seminary and then I'll go back to my village and I'll teach them about Jesus Christ. What happened instantly? She ran back to her village, to her family, to her people, and she shared what she knew. That this man offers living water. That if you drink from you will never go thirsty again. And so whether you, you know how to parse the Greek words, or whether you know that Jesus is Lord, teach what you know. Break it down to others. And I like the extent of what it says to teach. Teach them to do what? 
To know? What does it say in, in, in the text in verse 20? Teach them to observe. Some translations say obey. Teach them to observe. So, parents in the room. When your kid was young and they were pooping in their diaper. Okay? Or some of you have children in that same stage right now, right? How many of you just told the child once? You just walked them to the toilet once and you showed them the toilet and you say, now this is where you go potty. Okay? And, and then, and, you know, and then just walked away and the next time, like they had to go potty, they just went to the toilet. Any parents have like children like that who were born of the Holy Spirit and just have it all together? <laughs> How many times did you have to walk your child to the toilet and tell them to go potty in the toilet? Several. And you tried every trick. You tried the Cheerios in the toilet, you know. You, 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 just, you tried everything, right? And, but you got to keep doing it until they get it. How many of you... When your child got a little older and, and, and you started, you, you were putting on their shoes and you were tying their shoes, but you wanted them to learn. And so you, you showed them one time and how many of them got it from then on? Very few, right? You have to continue. Okay, this is how you, you loop it and you wrap it and you go in, right? You had to do that whole thing, right? Over and over and over again until they finally got it. How many of you s- told your child, say mama? Say mama. And they got it right then and they started saying mama. And, 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 and you say, now say food. And, and they said food. And, and now, no, you, repetition, right? Teaching us through repetition until finally they get it, until finally they observe it, until finally they obey it and they do it. In the same way, this is the, what we're called to do with others as we're making them into disciples. is not just to tell them once, but to tell them over and over again until they finally get it. And you know what? That's not something that happens quickly. Jesus Christ spent how many years with his disciples? Three years. Now, now remember, this is not just three years once a week. This is three years every day, walking with them, right? And these are individuals who grew up in the Jewish culture where they had memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, probably by the time they were nine years old. They already had a a serious foundation of the truth. And Jesus walked with them for three years, 24-7, with them. Why do we think that we could disciple someone in less time than that? Why do we think that we could disciple someone by just leading a Bible study once a week with them? But again, to teach someone means that we're repetitive with them. We, we put in the time with them until they observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now, let's look at the Christ of the disciples. We looked at the character of the disciples. We looked at the calling of the disciples. And now, the Christ of the disciples. One, I want to go back to verse 16. It says, now the eleven disciples... We have to remember that there's only 11 now because Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen. 
Because he said, the one who dips his hand in the bowl with me is the one who's going to betray me. But what did Jesus do that very night? He put a towel around his waist. And he got on the floor. And he washed the feet of all the disciples. I could imagine him washing Peter's feet first. And he knows that this very night, Peter's going to deny him three times. Yet he washes his feet. And he moves on to the next. And he knows that this one is going to run away. Yet he washes his feet. And then he gets to Judas. And he knows Judas already conspired to, to betray him. And yet he washes his feet. This is the love that our Jesus has for us. That no matter how much we rebel against him, no matter how much we run from him, no matter how much we disobey him, no matter how much we reject him, he remains faithful. And he loves us. And he's waiting, as the father in the prodigal son story, for us to return back to him. The love of Jesus is never ending. He promises to be with us. He promises to love us despite us. And we respond out of that love. The reason we love is because he first loved us. Then we also see his authority in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I don't know if you like me. Growing up, I, I was, well, I've always been, I've always been super shy, super quiet person. I was that kid in class. When the teacher started calling on people for answers, I would like look down as though she couldn't see me. Like I had some spiritual, some superpower that I became invisible, right? When I looked down, my palms would get sweaty. I started like feeling sick inside. Like, please don't call me. Please don't call me. Please don't call me, right? Oftentimes, I, I wonder, am I going to have the answers for this individual? If they start asking me deep, deep truths, if they start asking me deep questions about the Bible or about other religions, am I going to have the answer for them? But what, if, what if they don't want to hear? What if they don't listen? What if I share it and... And, and, and now our friendship is, is ruined as a result. We all have these doubts in our head. But the reality here is that Jesus Christ, he commands them to do something that he also has the authority for. Jesus Christ is the one who saves lives. Jesus Christ is the one who has the power to change hearts. Jesus Christ is the one who rules over all things. Jesus Christ is the one who protects. It is his authority, and by his authority alone, that we minister the gospel to others. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And so whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether, whether you're a book nerd or not, whether you've been to seminary or not, don't ever rest in your own authority. Jesus is the one with all authority. 
And he calls us to make disciples out of that authority. And then third, the Christ of the disciples, what we see about him is his presence at the end. Verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ promises to be with us, to walk with us as we fulfill his command. So when we talk to our coworker, when we talk to the person at the gym, when we talk to our neighbor, Jesus Christ is standing there with us. He empowers us to do it. He, through his spirit, gives us the very words to say in the time that we need it. And we look back into the conversation and we wonder, I didn't even know I knew that answer. But yet God brought it back from the recess of our minds, a, a message that we heard 10 years ago. He promises to be with us. So again, I would challenge us, I would encourage us to first examine our own hearts. Are we a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do we follow him wherever he calls us to go, whatever he calls us to do? Do we look to him for salvation, for our only hope? Do we worship him even in the midst of our doubts? If that's not us, Jesus Christ offers himself. Look to him and live. Drink from his water and never go thirsty again. And then, if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, are we about our Father's business? Are we fulfilling the commands that Jesus Christ has given us to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups? People who look like us, who don't look like us. People who talk like us, who don't talk like us. Are we f- fulfilling this commandment as we go by immersion and by, by teaching? Sixteen years ago, I got married. We were living in uh, Humble Park area. And I was involved in a ministry in Humble Park, reaching high school students. We had a building. Students would come to have Bible studies open gyms, so forth. I would go into Clemente High School and we led Bible studies during lunch break. And people were, students were coming down and joining and being taught. And my ministry was, was in this box. And my ministry is to youth that come to this youth organization and that go to this high school. And then it hit me, it dawned on me one day that I was parking my car down the block and I was walking to my house, and I was walking past neighbors, and I was walking past other individuals. I didn't know their name. I never saw myself as ministering to them, because that's not my ministry. When it dawned on me, I started introducing myself to people, and I met this guy named Craig. I started to hear his story and learn about him. Craig had been homeless for about 20 years at the time. He was in his mid-40s. He was addicted to drugs, couldn't get victory, even though he tried over and over again. 
it was a homeless shelter that was around the corner from our house, and they would open up at 9 o'clock, he would get a bed and sleep there, and then wander the streets during the day. So we started inviting Craig over for dinner. We were newly married, early 20s, 22 or so at the time. Craig was twice our age. I've never been on drugs. I never knew, I was never trained on how to counsel people out of drugs. But as he would come over for dinner, we would start to hear more of his story, and we start to share our story, and we start to look in the scriptures and, and, and teach him of, of the gospel. Eventually, that led six months later that we had a, a couch in our apartment, one-bedroom apartment, and so we asked Craig, Craig, w- will you stay with us so that we could spend more time together? Because he was still having defeats with his drug addiction. So Craig laid out on our couch and would live with us, and every morning we'd spend time with him, and after work I would spend time with him, and we'd study the scriptures and we'd spend time praying together. And, and what I knew is that the gospel that saved my life could save his life as well. I had no other answers for him other than the message of the gospel. So we would share that, and we would love on him, and we would share meals together. A few months into us having him stay on our couch, he disappeared. We started praying for him, and we started looking for him. We started going around the streets. Finally, we ran into Craig about a half mile away. We said, Craig, what's, what's going on? And he started to walk away. His head hung low with shame. I said, Craig, we love you. Come back. Jesus loves you. Come back. He got in the car, came back to the house, and told us that he had a relapse, and he felt so condemned, so convicted. We just put our arms around him, and we just started praying. That happened again a few months later. And then the third time, about a year plus after he lived with us, it happened again, and we went around the streets, and we couldn't find him anymore. A couple years, a year or so after that, we ended up moving to another neighborhood. We had no way to get a hold of Craig. Craig had no way to get a hold of us. But we continued to pray for him. Every time we drove through Humble Park, we would pray for Craig, and we'd look for Craig. God, we trust that it's by your authority that you could save Craig's life. And we know that the seed that has been planted could take root in his life and in his heart. And so, God, we pray that you bring other Christians into his life who will continue to speak the truth to him, who will continue to love him. Use our feeble words to do that. Ten years go by of us not seeing Craig and praying for him. Or we get a letter in the mail. It's from a Craig Smith in, in Iowa. Like, we only know one Craig Smith, but he doesn't live in Iowa. We open up the letter and it says, Brian and Heidi, I hope this is you guys. I've been trying to find you for years. For the past five years, I've been drug-free. I moved to Iowa, got a job there, been working consistently there, and I'm getting married in a few months, and I want you guys to be there. So I had my daughter finding you guys, find you guys online, and this is the address I found. Here's my number. Give me a call. We caught up Craig instantly, tears running down our face. Like, God, you, you've been good. You've been faithful. 
And it and, and, and started simply with walking down the street and saying a hello to someone. Starting up a conversation, inviting them over to the house. I had his wedding day. We drove to Iowa a few hours away and saw him and his wife walk down the aisle. Now in his mid-50s. And we're amazed at God's power to save lives. Again, we weren't equipped to do that. But the Holy Spirit is. I didn't have the authority to change his life, his life, but Jesus did. And Jesus uses the lowly things of the world to shame the wise. He uses each one of us. Dear Father, we pray. I pray, Lord God, for everyone in this room. God, I pray for the Craig in their lives. Whether that is a co-worker, whether that's someone who lives on their block, whether that's someone who walks past them every day, whether that's someone at the gym, whether that's someone at school, Lord God, place Craig on their hearts and on their minds. Lord God, I pray that you would know that what you call us to do, you also empower us to do. So Lord God, would you equip them for the work? Would you equip them for these 200 individuals, Lord God, that need to be reached out to? God, would you even blow that number out of the, out of the water? Lord God, would you, would you bring people in the next coming months, Lord God, who, who right now don't know you, who don't walk with you, Lord God, who, who, are, who are walking in darkness? Lord God, will, will you draw them to yourself through your people? God, empower us to do the work bringing people to worship your son Jesus Christ in Jesus name we pray amen amen at this time I'm going to ask our prayer counselors to come up to to the front Uh, Brian thank you for that for that word from the Lord you know today you might be